Spiderweb for Two by Elizabeth Enright. Chapter Seven, The Joyous Season. Now comes the hour to put the game away and greet the joyous season of the year, the time of tree and stars drawing near. Forget the search and revel in the day. Thanksgiving weekend came and went, but it was too fast. There was no time to catch up. Rush and Mark kept talking about boys at school that no one else had ever heard of, and roaring together over private jokes. Mona seemed almost like a stranger, so grown up, and she had a new haircut, very short, with bangs in front, and openly used lipstick. It was not exactly like old times, and no sooner had they come, it seemed, than they departed, leaving an air of haste behind them. The house was much too large and quiet for comfort, and Isaac was homesick for Rush all over again. One good thing, though, father didn't depart. And I'm not going to for a long time either, he said. I don't even want to go to Carthage for pipe tobacco. I just want to walk around the place and talk to my kids and throw sticks for the dogs and eat everything Cuffy cooks. It was wonderful to have him back. Every afternoon when they came home, they knew he would be there too. To whoops! Every afternoon when they came home, they knew he would be there to talk to them and listen to them and help them with their homework. At night, he often read aloud for an hour after supper old favorite stories like *The White Seal* and *The Five Children* and *Castle Blair* and *Tom Sawyer*. If he was busy, it was still comfortable to know that he was there and hear the benevolent woodpecker sounds that issued from his typewriter. So time, instead of lagging, moved easily toward Christmas, and suddenly they were all back again, and there was time to get accustomed to each other, and home was home the way it used to be. None of the Melendys ever forgot that vacation. In the memory of each, those weeks had a shine and glitter that would never grow dim. For one thing, the weather was right. December, unlike some Decembers, seemed to have modeled itself on all the Christmas cards in the world. It snowed and snowed, and when it did not snow, the sun came out, and the fields sparkled as if they had been covered with granulated sugar. There was hardly any wind, so the trees kept their heavy epaulets of snow, and the iron deer in front of the house wore big white mobcaps on their antlers. I keep expecting the smoke to come out of the chimney and form the words "season's greetings," said Rush. The children were in and out of the house all day. Nobody's galoshes ever had a chance to dry, and Cuffy just spread newspapers all over the hall and gave up worrying about footprints. Outdoors, the scene was a litter of sleds, Melindy sleds, and the sleds of friends whizzing down the hillsides between the trees, or idle and abandoned on the snowy lawn. Mark and Rush and Dave Addison skied down the east slope, where there were plenty of good hazards, and even Willie Sloper took to snowshoes. He looked like a big web-footed duck as he tracked across the pastures. Oliver and Billy Anton got two dishpans and went spinning top-like down the south slope until they were dizzy and sick at their stomachs, and then they'd lie down quietly in the deep, cold feather bed of snow until they felt well enough to start spinning again. The dogs had white beards all the time, and the air smelled very clean, so dry and cold that everyone's nostrils felt crackly inside. Another thing that made them all extremely happy was the fact that Mrs. Oliphant came home with Mona to visit them. They were always glad to see the tall, deep-voiced old lady who was their good friend. 
Besides being an interesting person, among other things she had once been kidnapped by gypsies, she liked children and seemed to respect them, so that they in turn liked and respected her. With Cuffy and Mrs. Oliphant both in the house, it was like having two grandmothers, Randy said. Two special, marvellous, made-to-order ones, better than any real inherited ones that I ever saw. Undoubtedly her presence contributed to the joyful spirit that pervaded the house. Indoors, when the day was over, there was an atmosphere of wild festivity. The office piano tinkled and clanked and thundered under Russia's flying fingers, and everybody was always bursting into Christmas carols. The first day of Christmas my true love sent to me, a partridge in a pear tree. That was all that Oliver could ever remember of the song, but it was enough to suit him, and he droned it over and over again, accompanied by sniffles. His nose was always running from the cold. Randy was haunted by we three kings of Orient are, just as she was haunted by it every Christmas, and Rush kept bellowing, "'Deck the halls with boughs of holly,' in his terrific new voice. Somewhere between September and now it had undergone, and was still undergoing, a change. When he spoke or sang it was as if some new person, a stranger, had come into the house, but he looked and acted the same as ever.' "'And speaking of decking,' he said one day, "'we ought to all go out and gather some deck-material from the woods. "'Mark knows where to find holly.' "'This was the kind of errand everyone enjoyed, "'and in a matter of minutes they were all back in their wet galoshes and steamed mittens "'and on their way along the furry, muffled paths. "'They brought their sleds to carry home the loot, "'and also because it was probable that they would find a good coasting-place or two along the way. "'The dogs bounded and floundered beside them,' and Mark led the procession. It was one of the snowing days. The flakes came down in big, soft blobs like pillow feathers. The woods were silent and transfigured. But the Melandies took care of the silence. They whooped and rough-housed and zigzagged and stopped to coast. Oliver found himself a house under the bottom branches of a spruce. The snow had covered them and bowed them down, and when he crawled in under them very carefully, he found himself in a little sweet-smelling igloo. Flakes tinkled delicately on the roof above, and he was very happy. "'Where's Oliver?' asked Mona's voice after a while, and he sat there, close to the tree-trunk, listening with pleasure as they called and searched for him. When they began to sound worried, he came out and showed them his hiding-place, and after that, of course, they each had to find one. They each had to find one. For a while there was a savage village in the woods, though whether it belonged to Huron Indians or Alaskan Eskimos no one could agree. Even Mona joined in the game. She had come home immensely grown up, but seemed to be dropping a year of her age every day, and it was much more comfortable like that. Nevertheless, it was she who first remembered about the time. "'Heavens, kids, it'll be dark before you know it.' "'And the place is still about a mile away,' said Mark." They jog-trotted through the quiet woods until they came to a rocky hillside where the holly-trees grew. They looked glossy as jet against all that white, and their berries were like coral beads, but they were very prickly to pick, and a lot of shrieking and complaining accompanied the cutting of branches. Oliver just rebelled, though being Oliver he did not advertise it, but simply withdrew quietly and began pulling strips of papery bark from a birch-tree. He planned to write some letters on it when he got home, 
The Indian spirit was in his blood. By the time they had all the holly they needed, and all the laurel and long boas of ground pine, the light was beginning to fade. "'We'll have to hurry, or we might get a little lost,' Mark said. He, after all, knew this territory better than any of them, having lived in it all his life, and they trotted obediently along behind him, single file, through the pearly dusk. The dogs had gotten bored and chilly and gone home ages ago. The children fell silent. They were tired, and had made more than the day's quota of noise already. They could hear the snow, now prickling and whispering, and as the darkness grew the woods seemed strange to them and threatening. They were cold, too, and hungry, longing to get home. Suddenly, with a terrifying crash of underbrush, something burst out of the woods to the left, and just in front of them. A huge, wild, galloping thing! Mona screamed, and so did Randy, and all their hearts lunged in their chests before they realized that the creature which had crossed their path, and was now vanishing up the slope to their right, was a deer. "'A ten-point buck!' said Mark, in some awe. "'And he just about stepped on my boot!' "'Too bad he didn't, in a way,' Rush said. "'Then, when people asked you how you'd hurt your foot, you could kind of yawn and say, "'Oh, a deer stepped on it in passing. They never look where they're going.' "'Brother,' said Oliver, "'that's the closest to a wild animal I ever was outside a zoo.' The deer had broken their mood of silence. Rush, pulling his loaded sled, began to sing The Holly and the Ivy, and everyone else joined in. "'Hey, we're not bad,' said Rush, at the end of the carol, "'especially now that my voice has changed and we've got a bass.' "'I was thinking we sounded swell,' said Mark modestly. "'Well, why don't we do something about it, then?' suggested Mona, who did not believe in hiding any lights under any bushels. "'Have a chorus, or give a concert or something.' "'Why don't we go carol-singing on Christmas Eve?' said Oliver. "'We could go and sing in front of people's houses, and they'd ask us in and give us cake and stuff. "'And I'd get to stay up good and late for once,' he thought. "'To his surprise, this idea was greeted with enthusiasm by all.' "'We never did it before, at least not seriously,' Randy said. "'There are lots of people we could sing to,' Mona said. "'The Cottons and the Wheelwrights. Mr. Coughing.' "'Mr. Titus,' said Oliver warmly. "'Oh, Natch, we'd never leave him out.' "'Let's sing some more right now to practice up,' said Randy. "'Let's sing about King Wenceslas.' "'Together they sang the nice, good-hearted ballad as they marched through the woods, "'Mark leading as if he were the king himself,' and the others treading in his footprints. On Christmas Eve the snow was still thick on the ground, but the sky was clear and starry. The Melendies, at father's suggestion, had borrowed back the team of workhorses, Jess and Damon, from Mr. Addison. They also borrowed the big old-fashioned hauling sleigh from his barn, and two of his children, Daphne and Dave, to help with the singing. Cuffy and Mrs. Oliphant refused to be lured away from the warm, bright house. "'We'll stay at home and welcome Santa Claus,' said Mrs. Oliphant, busily tacking stockings to the mantel. "'It's years since I've met an attractive man of my own age.' Willie drove the sleigh, and Father perched beside him on the driver's seat, but the children sat in back of them, snuggled into the deep straw that filled the box-like sleigh. "'I feel as if I were Louisa M. Alcott.' "'Randy said happily. "'I feel as if I were the Countess Natasha Rostova,' said Mona, "'in war and peace.' 
Russian, by Leo Tolstoy, a classic. The sleigh-bells chimed and jingled sweetly. Jess and Damon jogged comfortably along the fluffy roads, and there were so many stars in the sky that Oliver said, "'Aren't there more of them than usual tonight? Maybe they add some extra ones on Christmas Eve to celebrate.' "'It's just because there's no lights around to interfere,' said Mark. "'You can really get a good look at them for once.' Carthage, when they came to it, though, was a blaze of lights. There was a huge, dazzling Christmas tree on Main Street, and a lot of red and green bulbs hung up above it, spelling, "'Merry Xmas, folks!' Willie drew up in front of the Wheelwright house, and the children got out. Father and Willie stayed where they were, for though Willie loved music, he was tone-deaf, and Father, as Mona had said, "'is the most marvellous man in the world, but when he sings, it's more like buzzing.' <laughs> "'I feel awfully silly, don't you?' she said now. "'I mean, standing right here on Main Street and singing all in a bunch with people going by.' "'No, you don't. You like it,' Rush said. "'You always love giving a performance.' "'And it's Christmas we're singing about,' Randy reminded her. "'It's not something silly or show-offy.' After a short, whispered argument, they began with— O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. They had to sing it good and loud, because there was nothing still about the little town of Carthage that Christmas Eve. But the music wove its usual Christmas spell, the passers-by stopped, and some of them joined in, and so did Mr. and Mrs. Wheelwright in the doorway. Mr. Wheelwright, one of Carthage's two traffic cops, just off duty and still splendid in his uniform. Even Father and Willie caught the spirit, and got down from the sleigh, and humbly added their share. After more carols they were all shepherded into the little furniture-crowded cosy house with its dogs, cats, and birds, and were fed with Mrs. Wheelwright's famous jelly doughnuts, cheesecake, and strong coffee, even Oliver. Then, properly hugged and kissed, they went on to the Cottons, and then to Mr. Coffing's, and the Vogeltrees, and the others. At each place they were welcomed warmly and fed. It was a wonderful night. "'If we don't hurry, he'll have gone to bed,' said Oliver at last, worrying about Mr. Titus. So they all piled back into the sleigh again, and covered themselves with the cold, crisp straw, and jingled off along the lonely, starlit road. Mr. Titus's house was dark in front, but when they got out of the sleigh and tiptoed around the corner, they saw the kitchen windows, warm and yellow, and in one of them, above the sash curtain, the old man's head, snowy as that of Santa Claus. He was working at something, wearing his spectacles. "'Shh!' they told each other. Oliver started to giggle. He couldn't help it. But he stopped when they began to sing, "'God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay.' Up came Mr. Titus's head, startled. He left his chair, and now the kitchen door flew open. He stood there in the lighted rectangle, with Battledore rubbing herself against his ankles, and Hambone wagging his old tail in the background. In his hand Mr. Titus held a sock. He had been mending. "'Thank you! God bless you! Merry Christmas!' he said, when they had finished. "'And now come in, and we will have a party.' There were delicious things to eat in Mr. Titus's kitchen— he always baked a great many pies, cakes, and cookies at Christmas time to give away as presents, and just to have on hand. The Melendies, though, were unable to do more than toy with these delicacies. 
all but Oliver, that is. Oliver went to town on everything. They all ate at all the places, he explained, with his mouthful. But I didn't. I knew the best was coming last, and I saved up for it. <laughs> As they drove home, shortly before midnight, they were soon half asleep in the cozy straw. All but Oliver, that is. Oliver had drunk a cup of coffee at each place, without drawing attention to it, naturally, and was as brightly wide awake as any owl. He asked Father so many questions about the stars that Father finally begged for mercy. "'I never knew I didn't know so much,' he said, ungrammatically, for he was very sleepy. "'Never mind,' said Oliver. "'I've just about decided that astronomy is going to be my next phase anyway.' Randy, nodding between Mark and Mona, thought dreamily, "'No matter how good Christmas is, it can never be as nice as this has been.' And yet it was. All their presents were just what they had hoped for. No one quarreled or got a stomachache. From beginning to end it was a perfect day. And after it there was another perfect week. On New Year's Eve, Randy and Rush leaned out of the window and listened to the midnight whistles and bells from all the towns around. Carthage, Braxton, Eldred. Over and under these sounds they could hear the night wind in the trees, a year blowing away, a year blowing in. Happy New Year, Ran. Happy New Year, Rush. Leaning there beside him, she longed to tell him about the mysterious search that she and Oliver were engaged in. She hated to have secrets from Rush, but nothing could be done. Her lips were sealed. She sighed. "'What's the matter? Thinking up resolutions?' "'I wish it wasn't almost over. I wish you didn't have to go back.' "'I know. It's not so awfully long till spring vacation, though, and after that till summer. And then we'll all be home again for months.' "'And the mystery will be solved,' she thought, "'and we can talk about it. Anyway, the clues are fun, and they'll begin again now. Come on, she said. Let's go wish the others Happy New Year. Check, said Rush. End of chapter 7. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on Sunday, November 10th, 2013, in San Diego, California.